Chicago saxophonist, educator, and author Eric Allen has set aside gigging for a while to focus on his writing, a perfect occupation for this stay-at-home dad. His new book, 50 Years at the Village Vanguard, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis, and the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, is the first illustrated history of what Eric calls the most influential big band in modern jazz. Eric and his co-author, David Lissick, compiled a fascinating collection of interviews and pictures which illustrate the creation and history of this great band. We talked about it all when we met up in Chicago for the following conversation. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I grew up in a little town in Iowa, Ogden, all of about 2,000 people. And I was in band right away, played saxophone in fifth grade. And then I think in sixth grade, I had a chance to join the, the junior high jazz band and didn't really know anything about jazz and never heard it. It was just another performance opportunity, smaller group, and was a lot of fun and continued that through high school. And my high school band director, who was great, he knew of this guy about 20 miles away. His name is Jack Oates. He's known as the father of jazz in the Iowa educational system. Ah. He started the very first high school jazz band in Iowa back in the, I don't know if it was late 40s or early 50s. Wow. So I started taking lessons with him as a sophomore in high school and found out he has four very accomplished kids. One is a vocalist in Minneapolis, Sue Oates, a trumpeter Jim Oates. And he's like, I have a son who's in this world-famous big band in New York City. His name's Dick Oates. He plays with Mel Lewis. And he goes and he gets out this album that I had no idea what it was. But it turns out it was um, Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra live in Montreux. And that was the first time I heard this amazing band. And that was really some of my first real exposure to actual jazz, Mm. hearing that album. And that really became a focus then, big band playing for you? Is that something you thought, now this is what I want to do, be part of a big band? Yeah, definitely. I mean, again, in high school I was. And yeah, I was definitely very captivated by that. And we didn't have many CD stores around. (laughs) We were about 45 (laughs) miles from Des Moines. And there was one really cool store that would get in new CDs. And they ended up getting the latest Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra recording. And 
that was right about the time all the Beatles albums were coming out on CD for the first time. Mm. So my dad was interested in that. He would take me. And <laughs> That's I w- fantastic. So he's getting the Beatles and you're getting... Well, I was too. Yeah, yeah. I was very into the Beatles. But then I saw this Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra record. and It was the first one I bought on my own. It was Soft Lights and Hot Music, which was recorded live at the Village Vanguard in 1988. I want to ask you... Because I can, because of my powerful studio here in Chicago. (laughs) What, to you, makes a great big band arrangement? I'll start from my experience with getting to know Thad Jones's music. Mm. What makes a great arrangement for me when I listen to his music is, obviously there's all the harmonic skill. But in, in talking to Jim McNeely about his music... He was saying that if you take a lot of Thad's voicings and just have a band hold them one at a time, slowly move from one to the next, you're going to cringe a little bit sometimes. Mm. Or the way he put it, which was great, was like, it feels like you might have a little rock in your shoe or a little bit of sand in your eye. He said, but what makes Thad's music great is when you put it in this context of just the great matrix of swing all his arrangements just swung so hard and there was this incredible sense of joy and positive energy in almost all of his arrangements. So there was the harmonic skill. He was definitely, there was some dissonance he was playing with, but his stuff just swings so hard. Mm. And there's always a lot of solo space in his arrangements. One of the things that made Thad and Mel's band really noteworthy at the time was how much solo space they gave soloists. And that's why so many of the people that were in his band for a long time that were marquee names like Pepper Adams, um, Hank Jones, Roland Hanna, Eddie Daniels. The reason they were in that band for so long is they got a lot of solo space. Mm. So with that, I would say it was the solo space and just the, the swing and the sense of joy he brought.
I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm talking with writer Eric Allen, whose new book, 50 Years at the Village Vanguard, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis, and the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, celebrates with text and pictures the inside story of this great band. The other end of the spectrum with that band, if you get into some of Jim McNeely's more modern music, it's totally different. But there, there's the same sense of swing. But with Jim's music, there's all this amazing counterpoint. There's dissonance. But then there's also rhythmic unison with all these crunchy chord clusters. And it's just so much fun. And you have, you've talked to people in the band and they're like, it's it's like a really intricate puzzle because you can have one person literally playing the same line, a half beat behind the other person. <laughs> so it's this controlled chaos that just comes together and it's really great.
So your fabulous book, which I'm holding in my hand, 50 Years of the Village Vanguard, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis, and the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, is amazing. Everybody has to get this book, and they can if they go to your website, if they go to Eric Allen Jazz. Actually, it's available at skydeckmusic.com. Spell that? S-K-Y-D-E-C-K music.com. Perfect. Now, one of the things, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be reading this forever because it's so dense with information and it's fabulous with the pictures and everything. But one of the things that was interesting to me, and it, it comes back to what you just said about Thad and Mel's band having so much solo space, was something I didn't know that they were both in Jerry Mulligan's band and were unhappy that there wasn't much solo space. Talk about that, because that was news to me. I mean, I know those recordings, some of those recordings, and I just enjoyed the recordings, but I wasn't thinking about the fact, which I should have, I guess, that there was so little solo space. 
Yeah. Well, just to go back a little bit, Thad and Mel kind of randomly met in the mid-50s. Mel was playing with Stan Kenton's band, and Thad was a member of Count Basie's orchestra. And they met at this Battle of the Bands thing in Detroit in 1955, I think. They struck up a friendship. They played at a jam session that night. They kept in touch for years and years and in the early 60s found themselves together in Jerry Mulligan's concert jazz band. And as you mentioned, Mulligan was really tight about the solo space. It was much more about the compositions. And they had people like Phil Woods and Bob Brookmeyer in this band. And A few people who could play solos. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and one of Thad's quotes in the book was like, can you imagine having Phil Woods in a band and he gets to maybe play eight bars of solo in a night? <laughs> so during their time in this band, Thad and Mel were talking about, you know, man, there's got to be a better way to do this. Mm. And that's when they created this pact, like someday we're going to start a big band. And Mulligan's band broke up, I think, in 63 or so. Mm-hmm. And everybody kind of went their separate ways. And Thad and Mel kept saying, yeah, we need we need to do this. We need to do this. And Mel was getting frustrated. He's like, I'm ready to go. We're, why isn't this happening? Mm. And finally, um, Thad was still part of Basie's band, mostly, well, arranging and playing. Mm-hmm. And Basie commissioned Thad to write a whole album of music for the Count Basie Orchestra. And Thad did all these charts, turned them into Basie, and Count said, this isn't going to work for my band. You can have these charts back. And Thad did eventually get paid for them. Once that happened, Thad called Mel up and said, I have music. Let's get the band together. Let's, let's finally create this big band. Talk about three and one. And what it means to you. Okay. So as I mentioned, I was exposed to the Mel Lewis Jazz Orchestra in high school. So I'm already in the post-thad period of the band at that point. When I was finishing up my undergrad degree, one of my professors gave me this cassette tape and just said it was, you know, Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra. I didn't even know what album was. Later I would figure out that it was the first album presenting Thad Jones, Mel Lewis, and the Jazz Orchestra. And I was just, I, I about wore this tape out. And the tune that grabbed me the most was Three and One. It, it had had all of Thad's hallmarks. It had this great melody. It was kind of a small group presentation of the melody. It had these extended solos, great shout chorus, super powerful writing. That sense of joy I talked about earlier is very prevalent and an amazing saxophone solely, which, you know, really <laughs> tugged at my heart. So that was the chart that totally got me hooked on Thad Jones music.
The Thad Jones Mel Lewis Orchestra on 3-in-1. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. Our show is made possible in part with generous support from Steinway & Sons and from East Hampton Indoor Tennis, eight indoor and 20 outdoor courts in a quiet, beautiful park-like setting. Visit ehit.ws for more information. For a schedule of upcoming programs, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired free on iTunes and email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter at Stride Queen. To find out more about my CDs and where I'm touring and to sign up for our email newsletter, visit judycarmichael.com. Additional support is provided by Jazz Times Magazine, providing entertaining and provocative coverage of the jazz scene since 1970. On the web at jazztimes.com. I've written a new memoir called Swinger, A Jazz Girl's Adventures from Hollywood to Harlem. For more information on where you can find it or to order an autographed copy, visit judycarmichael.com. And I'll be appearing at Dizzy's Club at Jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City, March 27th and 28th, and Highfield Hall and Gardens in Falmouth, Massachusetts, April 15th. I'm talking to my guest Eric Allen about his new book, 50 Years at the Village Vanguard, Thad Jones, Mel Lewis, and the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra. In it, he talks about Thad Jones needing financial motivation or a deadline to get him writing. A great story Eddie Daniels told me that goes along with this deadline mentality. Mm. The night before the Central Park North album was recorded in 1969, Thad was finishing up music for that. And they played their gig at the Village Vanguard, and Thad literally was writing scores out with copyists looking over his shoulder. (laughs) And one of these things, amazingly, was Groove Merchant. And if you know that famous saxophone solely, if you listen to that, it's amazing. And pretty much those guys were reading it down that day (laughs) from the sounds of it. I was delighted to read, well, number one, to hear skittish, but also you talking about having this very difficult music set down in front of you 
without any buildup for it. I love that kind of thing. I would rather go for it, crash and burn, pick myself up, go for it, <laughs> crash and burn. No, I loved it. I really related with that story. So talk about that. I was just delighted when you sent me that. Talk about it. Okay. When I was a grad student at Northern Iowa in 1995, I was also a graduate assistant. And the big band, Northern Iowa Jazz Band won went through a lot of turnover. I think the whole band was new except for the rhythm section and two horn players. Very young band. And our director, Bob Washett, who, a little bit of an aside, he's retiring this year after 37 years at Northern Iowa, and he's been an amazing mentor and an awesome influence on so many people. But he set this music down in front of us, Jim McNeely skittish, and he never said it, but I always felt like he was just laying down the gauntlet. It was one of the first things he set down in front of us. And I think it was a message of, you know, we're going to find out what this band can do. Mm. And yeah, we've, you know, the chart has mixed meters, all these clusters, really technical passages, just really hard music and super captivating though. I mean, we, we really wanted to get it together and all worked really hard to do that. And that was my first exposure to Jim McNeely's music, which had I not heard that and experienced that firsthand, I don't know if I would have understood or gotten into his music as much when I heard it with the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra later. And in another way, that chart is kind of roundabout responsible for this book happening because my co-author, Dave Lissick, he came to Northern Iowa a year after I did. Mm. And our band played at the Elmhurst Jazz Festival. And Dave was finishing up his undergrad at the University of Mary. And we were a featured band there. And Dave heard us play that. And he told me that that's part of what made him want to come to Northern Iowa. And so the next year, we found ourselves, both of us grad assistants, and we, we became these great friends who always stayed in touch, both big fans of the Vanguard Jazz Orchestra, Thad and Mel. So, 
yeah, in a lot of ways that led to this book happening. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. My guest is saxophonist author Eric Allen. His book, Body and Soul, explores different jazz solos on that classic tune. Body and Soul is considered the quintessential ballad for tenor saxophonists. It's, it's a measuring stick. It's just assumed you know how to play blues, changes over I got rhythm. And for tenor saxophonists, body and soul, for sure. And the song had existed about 10 years before Coleman Hawkins had recorded it. And a few recordings existed, but nothing too significant. Coleman Hawkins did this version, and it actually became a popular hit on jukeboxes after he recorded it in 1939. And... That recording was pretty much single-handedly responsible for the tenor saxophone becoming a significant solo instrument in jazz. Before that, it hadn't been. And it's hard to tell what 
about that recording captivated people so much, but it, it did have a very modern sound for the time. And one of the things I discovered after studying this solo that created that modern sound, and I don't know how technical I can get on this. That's all right. But he I'll would, stop you. <laughs> <laughs> he would have these delayed resolutions, which means, let's say the rhythm section had moved on to the next chord, but Coleman Hawkins would still be playing for a half beat, one beat, one and a half beats on the previous chord. Mm. So it created this little bit of a conflict or dissonance that made it sound super modern. Mm. That was one of the things I discovered. Then, you know, he's just very melodic with it. And there are these big extremes of altissimo. And he really builds to a to an exciting climax towards the end of the solo. So when I was at Northern Iowa, I had a one semester where I had to do a, quote, special studies project. And Bob Washett, who I mentioned earlier, said, 
you know, pick something that's meaningful to you that you think you'll get a lot out of as a player, something that you can really do a deep dive on. And I thought about it, and I'm not sure what really made me choose this, but I decided I was going to transcribe a bunch of solos on body and soul. So I did Coleman Hawkins, Lester Young, two different Dexter Gordon solos, and at the time, Michael Brecker. And I did this, and back then, there was finale, but barely. (laughs) (laughs) And so I did all this analysis. I was literally cutting and pasting, as in cutting pieces of paper out, gluing them onto another piece of paper, circling, using arrows and all this. It looks like a caveman put it together now. (laughs) And I did this, and I was really happy with it, but it sat in a box for you know, 17, 18 years. I assumed that there would be too many licensing issues with six different record labels. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't do anything with it. But it, I'm not sure what encouraged me to give it a try again, but I happened to talk to the people at Jamie Abersall Jazz. I sent them, I scanned this, like I said, caveman document <laughs> onto PDF, showed them the concept. They really liked it. And they did a little bit of investigation and they said, well, actually, you don't have to deal with record companies. You just need to license the tune. So problem solved. They said, you know, do it. We'll, we'll publish it. So I added a few more solos. I added the Stan Getz and the Chris Potter solos. Um, made a lot of corrections. My ears were a lot better <laughs> 18 yeah, years later. Right. I had a lot more things to draw from for the analysis, so I cleaned up a lot of that and put this book together, and Jamie Abersall Jazz published it. It's fantastic, and it's fascinating for any musician, I think. I think to see one tune approach different ways, and then with the analysis, I think it's great. Usually these books are one player playing a bunch of different tunes. Right. So yeah, I, I was happy to be able to put together one tune, especially such a historical range from 1939 to the early 90s.
Chris Potter on Body and Soul. A transcription of his solo was included in Eric Allen's book, Body and Soul, a compilation of great saxophone solos on this classic tune. I'm Judy Carmichael, and this is Jazz Inspired. I asked my guest, saxophonist educator Eric Allen, what he tells his students is the best way to develop their jazz playing. I guess my advice and what I see in my favorite players is just just be genuine. Just play what's play what's inside of you. One of the things that fascinated me about the Chris Potter solo in the Body and Soul book, when you listen to it and it sounds I, I assumed it was incredibly complicated. With I was gonna find all these crazy scales and techniques and you look at it and it's really very basic scale chord relationships and he has just he is a master of development and motivic development especially and everything he plays means something a lot of times one idea will transform or dovetail into another idea Mm. so everything he's playing has very definite intent there are no displays of here are the scales I know or here are these techniques I know. It all comes from a very organic place. And has compositional meaning, compositional development, as I'm Abs- hearing you say it. Absolutely. You brought me a wonderful Dexter Gordon. He's one of the first people I heard live when I was in a club. It was in L.A. Oh, I'm jealous. At the, I know. No, it was big. It was big. I, what year I, was that? Oh, my gosh. It's got to be, I don't know. I was just out of college or something like that, and someone took me to the lighthouse at Club on the Beach. It's now called the Lighthouse Cafe, I think, Hermosa Beach. Anyway, but it was a boyfriend who really wanted me to be a jazz fan. So he took me to hear Dexter. And I remember it was everybody was real cool, and it was smoky. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was all of that. But anyway, talk about this track, this Dexter track. So this track in particular, Cheesecake, I remember very specifically when I showed up to college the very first day, went into my dorm room. My roommate, Mark O'Connor, who is now the director of jazz studies at the University of Indianapolis, he was just setting up his stereo, and the first thing he threw in was this Dexter Gordon album. And I hadn't heard very much small group at that point, honestly. And man, it just totally captivated me right away. Dexter just has, he just makes it sound so easy. And he just has this commanding presence, even when you're just listening. I can't even imagine seeing him in person it's like you did. It's just like that. <laughs> and there's this whimsy to his playing, all the, the humorous quotes he throws in. And he has this very sometimes open harmonic concept where he has this very strong idea. And it definitely works over the changes, but it's not necessarily playing exactly the changes. And the way he plays behind the beat sometimes and sometimes he's just a little bit just tiny bit flat it gives him this bigger sound and it just this track just totally captivated me and i was instantly a dexter gordon fan and as you can see two of his solos ended up in the the book as well Thank you. 
Okay, so tell me what's going on now. What are you working on? Well, Dave and I are working with Jim McNeely. Mm-hmm. We're very excited. We're working on a book that's analyzing about 10 Thad Jones arrangements. Instead of just a traditional score, we're going to have a condensed concert score. So there hasn't been anything quite like this for that much of Thad's music before. And then we're also working with Chris Potter on a book that's talking about his approach to improvisation, which we're very excited about. And you have another one that we're not going to mention, but this is going to perk people's interest because you told me off mic, a very exciting project. So stay tuned. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> stay tuned. Thank you. I'm so glad we got to get together. We had an aborted attempt before when I was going to be in Chicago, but here I am again. So thank you. Thanks so much for having me on the show. You've been listening to my conversation with Eric Allen. I hope you join me next time when I talk with another celebrated creative person about how jazz has inspired their life and work. To find more information on Eric's books, visit ericallenjazz.com. I'm Judy Carmichael, the host and producer of Jazz Inspired. My production engineer is Curtis Heidolf. You can download podcasts of Jazz Inspired from iTunes or at talkshoe.com. Our opening music was Airmail Special, and the mid-break music is a smooth one from my CD, High on Fats and Other Stuff. The closing music is Old Fashioned Love from my CD trio. I'm on piano with my Cashem on sax and Chris Flory on guitar. Judy Carmichael's Jazz Inspired is made possible with generous support from our listeners and from Steinway and Sons and from Sag Harbor Florist. Visit sagharborflorist.net. For a schedule of upcoming programs, to sign up for our email newsletter, or to find out how you can personally support Jazz Inspired, visit our website at jazzinspired.com. You can email us at info at jazzinspired.com or visit us on Facebook and Twitter. I've written a new memoir called Swinger, A Jazz Girl's Adventures from Hollywood to Harlem. For more information on where you can find it and to order an autographed copy, visit judycarmichael.com. I'll be appearing March 27th and 28th at Dizzy's Club at Jazz at Lincoln Center in New York City and at Highfield Hall and Gardens in Falmouth, Massachusetts, April 15th. For more information on my shows and new memoir, visit jazzinspired.com and judycarmichael.com. <laughs>